Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. It is officially the Christmas season, so we'd like to take a moment to share our Christmas plans with you. This year, Collective will be hosting three identical in-person Christmas Eve services that you won't want to miss. There'll be one service on December 23rd at 5 p.m. and two on December 24th at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. We will also have an online service on December 24th at 8 p.m. We would love for you to pick a service, grab your friends and your family and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Also, to help us get ready to celebrate the life-changing story of Christmas, we have created an Advent calendar that is available on the Church Center app so you can live out the spirit of Christmas every single day. The calendar is complete with a passage from the Bible for you to read and a challenge that will help you share Christmas with your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers this Christmas season. Don't forget to tag us on social media whenever you complete a challenge or are impacted by a passage you read because we'd love to share your story with others. Now let's jump into Sunday's message from our Share Christmas series. Hey, good morning, Collective. How are we doing today? Good. That's really nice this, this early in the morning. Uh, if we've not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Austin Hedge. Uh, I come here once or twice a year. Michael is a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm actually from the Foundry Church in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, but I'm excited to be here with you guys. I, I'm excited each and every time uh, just to come and to see what God is doing here in uh, Frederick. Um, when I was in college, I worked at a Cracker Barrel, and I, I mean, it's not one of those places that you work at, and then after you work at it, you kind of never want to visit again. Uh, it didn't scar me from going back there. But specifically, I worked on the, the retail side of things. And uh, each week, we would come into Cracker Barrel, and we, we would unload uh, the truck. And it's just this massive truck full of, frankly, junk that, that people would come in and buy, and we were encouraged to sell to people and whatnot. Um, and I kid you not, uh, oftentimes, in the month of July is when we would begin to get the tabletops for Christmas. Because here in, in August or September, we need to have three or four tables ready to go for people to buy their Christmas gear. Now, often uh, around Christmas time, there's this, this expectation, this excitement, this, this joy that, that is just in the air, right? It, it's this collective jovialness that I don't think we experience any other time of the year or, or with anything else other than maybe uh, like a collective sporting event when everyone's bound together and, oh, yeah, the Ravens are doing really well, or, oh, yeah, the Orioles are fantastic. Um, but, but while I was working at Cracker Barrel, by the time that Christmas had come around, all of that anticipation, anticipation excitement, joy was kind of gone, because for months, we've been preparing and preparing and preparing. And then all of a sudden, you get there, and it's like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm worn down. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of like when you're driving in the car, and, and the best part of the song is about to come on, and then it's like, in 10 miles, make a left turn here, right? Where it's like you're building up to this point, and then you just have to be like, well, all right, let down, right? And, and by the time Thanksgiving rolled around, we were already on to the next holiday. And, and while I do believe that there's just this general excitement at Christmas time, I would be uh, remiss not to mention that that doesn't exist to everyone. In, in fact, uh, many of us, our exteriors are presenting this, this joyfulness and this exuberance of, of what is about to happen. 
But on the inside, we're maybe dreading the holidays. Maybe uh, your job is centered around the holidays like mine was, and, and that just makes it so it's just not enjoyable. Or, or maybe um, this is a season that's met with more stress or more fighting, or, or it's a season that is marked uh, through, through uh, just tough trials, whether that be uh, going through the holidays without someone for the first time or, or dealing with an addiction that is just brought up at this time of year. Or maybe it's just sitting across the table from a family member who views the world in a very different way than you. Regardless, one of the things for sure is that even in light of this demeanor, we all could use some hope. Am I right? Around Christmas time. This morning, we're going to continue looking at uh, the kind of the birth narrative of Jesus. Michael started last week uh, looking at the perspective from Luke, talking about uh, Mary and talking about the concept of peace. And today, we're going to look at actually Matthew and look at the story of Joseph from his perspective and consider the idea of sharing hope. So it says this in, in Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to stop a little bit here or there just to kind of walk through it and give some thoughts here. And we are picking up in verse 18. And if you open up your Bibles, uh, in the first 17 verses of the book of Matthew, you'll see just a list of names. And what that is, is the genealogy of Jesus. It is showing how Jesus is connected to all of these different Old Testament figures. Some of them were quite prominent that we look at well. Some were quite scandalous that he was related to. You know, others were relatively unknown. And in doing this, Matthew is pointing to this idea that Jesus is fully human. And not just that he's fully human, but he's also a part of the king line of David. He has the sovereignty of being a king when he is born. In this verse, we learn a few things about this situation, right? We learn that first that Mary was engaged to marry Joseph. Now, engagement at this time was very different than we think about engagement today. Because to enter into an engagement in the ancient world meant that you already signed a legally binding contract. And so, to an extent, they were already bound together. They just hadn't consummated that on the wedding night, if you understand what is alluded to in this, this passage. For example, if, if Joseph was to die, Mary would be considered a widow, even though they weren't yet married. They were just engaged. And that means then the only way that they get out of this engagement is to file for divorce, which we'll get to more in a minute. But when we, we learn that Mary has become pregnant, but again, this is before the marriage has become official, and some translations lay it out a bit more clearly, saying before the marriage could be consummated, as I mentioned there. So the couple is legally bound together through engagement, but is yet to be physically bound together, making the marriage official. Yet, Mary is pregnant because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, like the, one of the things we'll note today is that there's a lot of these things that we just like accept in the Bible that are a little bit strange. That if someone came up to us today and was like, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant because of the Holy Spirit, we'd be like, you're crazy. But for, for Joseph, it's like, okay, like, I guess this is the situation that we are in. Sometimes the Bible says these weird things and we just we go right past them. So, so verse 19 says this, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. 
So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Again, Joseph and Mary are engaged, but their engagement did not necessarily even mean that the couple had met each other or knew each other very well, because in the ancient world, it was, it was more of so a contract between two people coming together. It's not like they, they dated or courted before they were able to be together, but instead, they probably didn't know each other super well. They, they've been joined together by this legally binding contract, but Joseph was a good dude. That's what we learn in this, this text. It emphasizes this. Because in the Jewish law, if a woman had been uh, unfaithful in marriage, which if a woman's coming to Joseph pregnant, that would be what he would have assumed, the husband was forced to then expose the wife because she had diminished his honor. And for a man to divorce his wife, it was often done in the public square. It was done in front of the whole community. That, that there is this sense that she has brought on, or shame onto me, and so I am in return bringing shame onto her and from the whole community. But Joseph wants to do this quietly because he's, he's a good dude. He's a kind guy. He sees Mary, and he wants to divorce her empathetically. We don't have time to get into this today, but, but these laws sometimes uh, we know uh, did not look very favorably upon on women in the Jewish laws. Um, but we also do know that in Jesus, he had a very high view of women. Uh, you see this in the genealogy of Jesus where multiple women are mentioned, which was like scandalous at the time. Uh, women were very important to Jesus, even though the Jewish law sometimes didn't uh, specify that. Um, back to the text. It says this in, in verse 20. As he considered this, as Joseph, Joseph considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will come or will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, as they normally do, right? And he tells this, this man, that the woman that he is engaged to, who he doesn't know very well, has not actually been unfaithful and sexually active with someone else, but, but instead she's pregnant with a child because of the Holy Spirit. Totally normal, as we experience each and every day, right? Uh, and by the way, this, this consummation of the child with this woman who you are engaged to, but you, you barely know, and, and who is also uh, a virgin, it was told about hundreds of years ago by this, this other guy. Anyways, let's, let's go ahead and finish the text. Uh, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So Joseph wakes up, and naturally he just trusts the angel. An angel appears to him in his dream, and he goes, okay, well, I'm just going to do whatever this angel tells me to do. I don't know about you, but, but if I was to have a dream tonight, I don't know if I'd have the same level of faith of Joseph. This seems like an odd way to give instructions. Yet Joseph is obedient, and he displays this, this empathy for Mary and this care for Mary. And then I love this. Uh, we're so indirect oftentimes about the, the sex between the two of them, the lack of it. But then at the very end, it's like, well, by the way, they didn't have sex. 
It's very clearly put, even though all these other times, it's very like, let's tiptoe around this topic. Let's not say the, the thing. So this theme we're looking at today uh, is sharing hope. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to break down a little bit of what that looks like in this passage to Joseph, but also apply some of that uh, to us. And I want to offer three different ways uh, that we observe hope enacted uh, in our story and in this story as well. The first way that we see hope enacted in our lives and in this story is, is that hope trust. This verse displays the situation that is less than ideal, a situation that Joseph found himself in. He's, he's trying to marry this woman, and when he discovers that she's, she's pregnant, he's, he's going to quietly try to separate from her. This is an order not to bring shame to her, but, but an angel comes to him and gives him this plan, and Joseph trusts in this hope. Hope is frequently found in situations that are quite confusing, or maybe situations that everyone around us is like, I don't understand why you have hope in this. It makes no sense. For Joseph, uh, there was this hope in this message provided from, from the angel about his future marriage, that it would be okay. Thus, hope is enacted through trust here. But, but there's, this aspect of hope is often accompanied by presence, and not presence like Christmas presents, but proximity presence. I mean, we find Joseph here uh, stripped of his hope of what his marriage may be like. He's ready to throw in the towel and give up even before it has started. But the angel's presence is where the hope can be found, where that trust can be built. Because it's through this proximity that trust is able to be there, displaying this hope. This Christmas, will we be proximate to those who need hope? Will you take the time to actually be present enough when you're with your family, when you're with your friends, to, to share the hope that you have? Have you spent the time developing relationships where people trust you enough where you can share that hope? Hope ultimately uh, exists within trust, and trust ultimately exists within proximity. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, when I moved to Baltimore in 2013, I, I visited this coffee shop uh, called Cups Coffee House. And this isn't any old coffee shop. Uh, the owner launched this place uh, in West Baltimore as a way of equipping youth in our city with job skills, uh, a place where oftentimes in Baltimore, there aren't opportunities for youth to work. So, so she launched this shop in Southwest Baltimore. It's an area marked by food deserts, by redlining. And uh, she was there to be proximate in the neighborhood, choosing to live there, choosing to work there. Through time and energy, they developed a good rapport, and, and each year a, a new staff would come in that they could train and they could equip and then they could send out, equipping them for future job opportunities. And they prevailed against a lot of obstacles. Ultimately, this earned them trust in the community and with the kids. And ultimately, it, this trust was because of the proximity. The proximity and the trust together that they had built that allowed uh, cups to be uh, there and to be present in the life of teens. They, not, they did not choose a neighborhood that was just ripe with hipster coffee shops, but instead they chose to be proximate to, to these youth who are oftentimes underappreciated and undercared for. And why did they do that? Because they wanted to share hope, to give them the opportunity to have hope. The second way that we see hope enacted is, is hope longs. Again, let's consider the text once again here. 
The trust that Joseph has is that things are going to be okay, right? And trust, seemingly, a lot of times, is just, just this bare minimum. Like, my wife often asks me the question, like, well, what's the worst-case scenario in this situation? And really, what she's asking is, like, what is the threshold by which we will not pass? What, what can I trust? The angel speaks to Joseph, and he proclaims that this child is not one conceived uh, through unfaithfulness, but rather this child has a specific, special importance. And you, Joseph, get to be a part of that story. You get to raise this child, Jesus. In fact, uh, the name Jesus, Joseph would have recognized this, comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. And Joshua in the Old Testament was the one who ultimately brought the Israelites into the promised land. Moses was the one that, that did God's work getting the Israelites out and into the wilderness, but, but it was ultimately Joshua who helped get them there to complete the journey. The angel is calling Joseph to be part of a bigger story, to care for Jesus, who, who will complete this story. Even with this longing for hope, Joseph still doesn't necessarily even understand what, what is happening, what, what the angel is referring to. He could only understand a little bit, right, of what is happening. See, he, I mean, he is a Jew living in, in the Roman Empire, so there would be a little bit of an understanding there that, that this, there's this hope that he can't even begin to imagine. And when hope longs, it moves towards what we believe to be sometimes a fantasy or what we, we believe uh, we cannot even envision. And here for Joseph, he cannot even envision what is going to come because it's unknown. This is why oftentimes we're, we're drawn to different stories of people who, who are inspirational in this way, such as Corey Ten Boom, who, who decided during the Holocaust that uh, her and her family would, would hide Jews in their house. She's longing for this alternate reality. She's hoping for something different. Or, or Martin Luther King Jr., whose speak, speak, most famous speech begins with, I have a dream. I have a, a vision for a different reality than what we live in. It's not even something necessarily that I can tangibly point to. It's, it's a dream. Or Jim Elliott, who, who sought to bring hope, the hope of Jesus, to an uncontacted people group in Ecuador, which ultimately cost him his life. In some of the darkest years of our country, we see this unseen hope, longing for a different reality through the writings and the songs of the oppressed, specifically those who experienced the transatlantic slave trade. They faced the reality of, of involuntary servitude and, and being characterized as chattel, and, and they drew strength from, from the story of God delivering the Israelites out of the Egyptian oppression. For, for the Israelites, there was unseen hope. We know that we are going to be taken out of Egypt, but we don't really know where we're going. And not just that, but if you read through the story of Exodus, what happens? They're in the desert for 40 years. An entire generation dies before they actually get to this, this hope that was promised. For, for the Israelites, there was this unseen hope of a promised land, and that was paralleled to the unseen hope that, that is written about in many of the black spirituals coming from this time, a hope, a longing for a different reality that, that is defiant against the current cultural ties of oppression. Paul writes about this theme in the book of Romans when he says this, but with eager hope, 
The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we were already have something, we, we don't need to hope for it. But, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Paul is talking about this, this longing for something that, that, frankly, we can't even begin to understand. Like, can, can you imagine for a second a, a world where, where your bodies function perfectly, where there's no more sin or suffering? There's this longing for a hope that we can't even understand. Hope defiantly longs for what is unseen. For those who, who identify as Christians, uh, we hopefully long for God, for what God has promised. I wonder how our lives are, are proclaiming that same hopeful longing. Is it longing for something unseen, or, or are you limiting what God is calling you to do? As Corey Ten Boom writes, uh, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So while it may be unknown and unseen to us, we can have hope longing for that unseen thing because God has seen it. This holiday season, you have the chance to share the longings you have far beyond what you can see. And the question is, will you? The, the third way that we see hope enacted is that it restores. This is the story of Christmas ultimately, right? This restorative hope that can be found in this tiny infant. When the angel approaches Joseph, his first words are, do not fear, which is actually a common refrain when angels show up in the Bible. But, but this one is a little bit unique because oftentimes there's, there's this fear because there's this angelic being in front of them and probably the appearance looks a little bit strange or different. But, but here, what Joseph is told not to fear is to actually go into Mary. Mary. The angel declaring, uh, declares this bravery for him. He shouldn't be afraid to go get married. In light of all that Joseph may face personally, all that he may face relationally, being, being in a marriage with this woman who is now pregnant in an unexplainable way, or, or what he may face socially as well. The angel uh, sent from God gives Joseph this hope and restoration. This restoration for Joseph uh, both is, is interpersonal and also social. To have hope means that Joseph may face being wrong about the situation. That, that Mary, in fact, had become pregnant by someone else, and he was wrong. He, he thought that an angel was telling him that that wasn't what had happened. I envision Joseph, Joseph just reiterating over and over again this, this idea, like, I, I hope I don't regret this, because this seems crazy. In, in having hope, Joseph faces the reality of being scoffed at or made fun of by his society, by his friends, by his family. As, as he tried to explain to him, explain to all of these people in his life, like, there's this woman, and, and we're engaged with what you know, and she's pregnant, but it wasn't us, and it wasn't them, and it was the Holy Spirit, right? Friends and family would think he was crazy 
again. It may have led to him being ostracized in a way, losing relationships. This is a hope, though, that restores when any issue may arise. When hope restores, it meets you right where you are, hurting, broken, overwhelmed, exhausted, encouraging you uh, with the opportunity for restoration. How can hope restore you in your life right now? How can you share this restorative hope with those around you this Christmas season? Vulnerability is where that often happens, where hope restores. This Christmas, you cannot expect to go to Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party and not tell people actually what's going on and then wonder why there isn't that restoration, why there isn't that relationship. Jesus chose the ultimate form of vulnerability, coming down from heaven, being in womb, and then being delivered as an infant. And because of this, Jesus can be the ultimate hope that brings about the restoration in your life. And you can bring about this restoration as well by sharing this hope. Who this Christmas do you need to be vulnerable with for the hope, for your hope to be restored? Or maybe for the hope of someone else to be restored as well. I don't know about you, but, but this, this Christmas season, uh, I come in here just, just worn out feeling beat up, exhausted, just the, the constant stresses uh, of parenting, of relationships, of uh, trying to go to school, of changes that are ever constant with what's going on with COVID, with just the, the arguments from both sides constantly at one another. It's just exhausting. And often when we feel overwhelmed and when we feel these hardships, it feels like it's coming at us from every single angle. Right? You ever feel that? That sometimes it feels like the first domino is knocked down and everyone after that just keeps going because when it rains, it pours, as they say. And if you're a person that often cares for others around you, uh, it's easy to, to walk around in this season where you're interacting with people probably a bit more than normal and just feel this fatigue, this compassion fatigue because you're caring for all of these other people. And honestly, this is, this is where I find myself this year struggling to remember this hope, let alone share it with those around me. But where I'm challenged in reading this text and thinking about my life is that if I am feeling this way, I'm not the only one. If I'm battling mental health and trying to parent well and trying to accurately articulate my boundaries and my expectations, I know that there are other people in this room that are also dealing with those things. So with Christmas, we're reminded of this hope, this hope that we all have, a hope that does not remove us from our present pain, but that gives us a path forward, a hope that trusts and longs and restores, a hope that others don't have, a hope that we can share. As we close, I want to share two verses with you uh, that give me hope this season. In light of this story, in light of everything we, we've talked about, uh, these two verses in particular are, are just weighing heavy on me right now, giving me that sense of hope when so much feels hopeless. The first is Hebrews 13.8, which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can have hope in the consistency of God. Despite every ch ever-changing stresses, 
despite failed relationships, despite health conditions, Jesus is the same. He was the same before COVID as he is now. He's the same uh, when you were at your highest and when you're at your lowest. He's the same uh, before the incarnation as an infant and who he is now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent. And that's a hope that we can share for Christmas. And the second thing is this, that John writes in Revelation, uh, speaking of Jesus, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away. One day the struggle and the pain and the hardship that we may experience in this season will pass away. It'll end. And God will be there helping wipe away our tears. Because this is what hope looks like, trusting and longing and restoring. This too is, is a hope that we can share this Christmas. There will be an end to the pain that we are all experiencing. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for your son and uh, for his willingness to come to this earth, to meet us where we're at, to bring this hope in a world that oftentimes feels hopeless. God, I pray for for this community, that, that this Christmas regardless of where uh, each person in this room is feeling right now, that, that they have uh, the, the encouragement and the energy and the passion to share this hope, a hope that you give us this Christmas. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.